0: I think I'm having an art attack! Hey, all you art lovers out there. If you haven't noticed, Art Attack is back! Not like we were really gone too long. Uh, I'm your host, Justin Bua, here with my co-host, extraordinary art historian, Lizzie Dastin. We've both been back from a whirlwind tour. Lizzie's been lecturing at Christie's, which is pretty impressive. And I've been hobnobbing around the world, uh, meeting my collectors and checking out different museums. Hi, Lizzie.
1: Hi, Justin. I missed you. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Me too. We have a Uh, lot to talk about. And I'm particularly excited about today's theme. We are going to discuss comedian Hannah Gadsby's luminous program Nanette that is just taking the Netflix and larger world by storm. Mm. And I think that this is a really meaty conversation and probably departs from our traditional art discourse. But what's really cool is that Hannah was an art history professor. She was an art historian. She studied it in school. And she integrated art history within the framework of her piece. So we can talk about that. But I can give a general overview of Nanette for those who have not seen it yet, although I would certainly recommend that everybody watch it. It is so meta and the most unusual comedy special I've ever seen. The structure, I thought, was completely powerful, so compelling. So Gatsby, she is from Tasmania, and she starts out with- Which is part of Australia. Part of Australia, exactly. And she starts out- her special with traditional jokes, kind of hackneyed. She makes fun of Tasmania for apparently its identity is uh, with incest, some kind of relationship there. I had not heard of that. Also, she makes jokes about herself and how people will often mistake her for a man, <laughs> yeah, and, <that> was <laughs> and the audience yeah. laughs. And this is a traditional exchange of self-deprecating humor coupled with laughter from the audience, that knowing, oh, yeah, I could see that you might be misidentified as male. And so that's why we laugh, and the audience becomes complicit. So then she takes this incredible, profound pivot, and then she says, you know what? I'm not going to do comedy anymore because... I no longer support this kind of self-deprecating humor. And she says something, I'm not going to get the phrasing correct, but she says it's not humility, it's humiliation. And that she doesn't want to other herself. And then the special continues and it really becomes this look at society and these systemic, hideous issues that we have. And she highlights um, her identity as a woman and also her identity as a queer woman and confronting the white male privilege in the room. And I just think it's really topical. And it, uh, I read a piece that this was the new wave of comedy, mm-hmm. that it's completely changing the game. And then we stop laughing because she explains the breakdown of a joke as being setting up tension and then alleviating it through laughter. And what I loved about the last two-thirds of the piece is that she sets up this tension at its fever pitch, but we never get that relief. And instead, we get this opportunity to self-examine. And I thought that was really beautiful and wonderful, and I love the way that she integrated art. Mm. But first, I'd love to hear your thoughts as a straight man.
0: Well, that's questionable, my straightness. Um, (laughs) Remember, I wanted to be a ballet dancer when I was very young, so... My mom didn't want me to because she said that I was going to be gay, which, of course, I never was. My boyfriend became gay, but I was always straight. (laughs) No, I did. I wanted to be a ballet dancer forever. And um, my mom was actually asked by a very misogynistic, uh, homophobic doctor in the... the, uh, I was born in 1968, so the doctor told her, instructed her to stop breastfeeding because your son was going to be gay. This was a very... Apparently normalized uh, response to breastfeeding, I guess, in Manhattan in 1968 when I was popping right out of the Vagine and into the reality of homophobia. So, uh, yeah. So I started watching the. First of all, I was like, okay, where is the. The whole time I was looking for the art because you're like, you have to watch it. She interweaves art history into it, and this is why it's super topical, and this is what we have to do. And so I watched it like a week ago, and I couldn't get through it because I was like, okay, well, where's the art history? I was like kind of looking at how we can apply this and integrate it into Art Attack. And then I watched it last night because, like everything, I procrastinate to the last minute, and then I get it done. (laughs) Nothing has changed since high school, by the way. I still do the same shit. I wait till the last minute, and I get it done.
1: And I do things four weeks in advance and write notes. Yeah,
0: exactly. (laughs) So I watched it, and I think it doesn't... She doesn't really talk about art history and Van Gogh until, like, halfway or even more than halfway. So then I started. it started to hit me, and I thought it was very, like you did, very profound, very deep. She obviously starts to... She uses very hacky jokes initially. She talks a lot about how she doesn't even identify as she's not lesbian enough. You know what I mean? And all of that. And it's really funny. And you, I always love stuff that are not only self-examining, but also examine the culture where she's from. Uh, but I thought that was very fascinating that homosexuality was illegal up until like 1997 in Tasmania. I mean, that's, that's a scary, that's a scary thought. Um, and now it's, an epicenter of homosexuality or how people don't even think about lesbians as gay. You know what I mean? Just like it, she really got into some funny stuff, but then later it goes deeper and she uses art as a conduit into the discussion, how really at the end, it wasn't about, you know, we have this idea, this identity that we label artists as, oh my God, they're so magical. They're almost mythical, like some kind of unicorn where Van Gogh, has to be, and we talk about this a lot because he is the complete idea of what people perceive artists to be: disgruntled, out of his mind, uh, you know, unstable,
1: unstable.
0: Yeah, and and you have to be in that place in order to channel this visual of the world, which in reality, you know, he was he was sick. He was on medication, and what the only thing that helped him is what she brings that I thought was very profound into the conversation was Teo, his brother, absolutely loved him, and love and compassion are what is going to get us through to the other side.
1: Right. And just to backtrack a little bit, the reason why Gatsby brings up Van Gogh is because apparently after one of her shows, some guy came up to her offering feedback, you know, of course, as as people do. Absolutely. And he said that she shouldn't medicate for her... I, I can't remember if she was overt with what I believe that she's on the spectrum. So I don't know what kind of medication she takes, but he said, you should not medicate because you're stifling your creativity. Mm. And if Van Gogh had medicated, then we wouldn't have those luminous sunflowers. And then when this, I thought was so funny. She said, never did I think that my art history degree would come in handy. And she goes off on this phenomenal diatribe Mm. against this man's ignorance. And, mine too. I didn't know these things about Van Gogh, but she said that he did actually seek psychotherapy and also took drugs. And many of the people in his portraits were his therapists. Yeah, I didn't know that either. Yeah, I had no idea. And that one of the drugs that he took, there was some kind of reference to it in one of the paintings. And a side effect of that drug is that your perception of yellow is
0: Enhanced. I, yeah, yeah,
1: exactly. And so maybe we only have the sunflowers because he medicated. Right. But I think that, that that was a really wonderful example. But also it's just kind of the issue is maybe mansplaining, maybe it's judgment, maybe it's intolerance. But the fact that an audience member would feel entitled to say, hey, you're actually stifling your creativity by medicating. And does that mean that artists have to be unstable to make something wonderful? And isn't that such a hideous thing to say? You have to be unhappy so that I can enjoy looking at what you produce.
0: Yeah. I mean, well, there's an irony there, though, right? Because she does say that, but yet she talks about people's behaviors And how that we really shouldn't support their art at the same time, right? So she talks about, she has another diatribe about Picasso. And she says, thank God for Picasso's perspectives, right? Cubism, we could look at it from this point of view, from that point of view, and this point of view. We know that Picasso was a cubist because he was influenced by Einstein's theory of relativity, that everything is relative, perspective is relative. You could look at you're drawing a figure, you, and and Picasso was drawing the figure from three point perspective, two point perspective, one point perspective, an ants eye view, a bird's eye view, and that became cubism, right? It was this disjointed, existential look at the figure or life itself. And what she's saying as well, Picasso brought us this different perspective, but. Picasso was a scumbag. Picasso was a misogynist. Picasso was arrogant.
1: And she called that a mental illness because he mistreated what he loved most. Right. I thought that was interesting.
0: Yeah. And he, and she went off about how it was disgusting how he was with a 17 year old. And because he had said that, like I'm at my perfect prime and she's at her perfect prime and she was 17 and he was what? I don't know, 80. You know what I mean? Like something, (laughs) I I don't, I don't remember when he married the 13 year old. Well, obviously that's, that's not normal and you know, it's very weird and, and there's a lot of absolute truth to that. But then it brings me to the bigger point when she mentioned Harvey Weinstein and Woody Allen and Bill Cosby, which me, for me, by the way, I never, like, p- people are like, man, I'm so bummed about Bill Cosby. I never liked Bill Cosby. <laughs> so to me, I was like, I never liked his shit. I always thought he was arrogant and he's a psychopath. You and knew that before? No, I just hated his comedy. Right. I hate, like, the only thing I like was Fat Albert, but I hated his comedy and I knew he was arrogant. And when Eddie Murphy, drew, you know, drilled him on Raw, when he talked about Bill Cosby um, in his special, I was like, yeah, man, this motherfucker. Like, I hated him anyway, regardless. So when I found out he was a psychopath, to me, it wasn't like. It, oh,
1: I was crushed. I was that. Yeah, see, about a lot that. of people were
0: crushed, like, ban, I can't believe about
1: I was crushed so by I Kevin like, Spacey. I, hate... I mean, this mm. is such a topical issue. And I sure. I'm so glad that you
0: are but, highlighting it. Yeah, but but brings me to Picasso. Okay, mm-hmm. so that's what I wanted to talk about. So I feel like she was saying that like we shouldn't like Picasso or we shouldn't support Picasso. I couldn't tell where that was at. But for me, I understand that. Like I bet you that I would not get along with Picasso. Picasso was incredibly arrogant. Picasso, uh, he liked a lot of shit that I hate. He was a big bullfighter supporter. I hate that. When I was on the U.S. Stamp Committee, I made sure to block that stamp. You know, running with the bulls, for all you guys who love that, I can't stand it. I think it's mean, rude, just evil with, for the animals. So, like, what am I going to do with Picasso? Maybe sketch at a cafe. But like in reality, I'm not gonna like him. Now, does that mean that I don't en- enjoy his work or don't think that he should hang at the museums? I don't know where where that goes to. You know what? At what point do we put the kibosh on saying he's should be a celebrated artist or not?
1: And to me, that was Gatsby's point in bringing up this concern because it is something that I think about all the time in structuring my classes. And this question of, can bad people make good art? And if you recognize that someone is bad, or that's such a judgmental term, if you, in your opinion, if somebody's actions and beliefs are misaligned with yours, can you support and are you a hypocrite to support the work that they produce? And that's so hard for me. And we've talked about this a couple of times before. And if I know that someone was a womanizer, that is my issue. Women's rights, human rights. And so if somebody violates that, then I am not going to support that person's work. But if you look at the trajectory of art history, there's so many evil misogynist acts by people that I put in my class. I can't teach a contemporary art class and not include Picasso.
0: I mean, Degas was an anti-Semite. But I can't argue that Degas... I have three Degas books here at my studio. I look at Degas all the time when I look at color. I mean, the guy was one of the greatest draftsmen of all time. And he was an incredible compositionalist. And he was a great colorist. And I'm learning from him. Would he have liked me? Of course not. Because I'm half Jew. So he would hate me just by definition of my DNA. Like so. But that doesn't stop me from loving his work, you know? it stops me from loving him as a as a person perhaps and as somebody that i maybe have a deeper humanistic connection with on a soulful level but there's but there's something that maybe he was able to tune into because he was definitely tuning into the spiritual essence of god on some level in the most beautiful profound way even though he had this i look at it as like a superficial hate like, he says he hated, like, people say, oh, Degas was an anti-Semite. He hated Jews. But maybe he was just angry because one thing happened to him, and he used that. And he was able to find the deeper sense of himself. Because I always say that art is more you than you are yourself.
1: Oh, absolutely.
0: So even though we see Picasso with Demoiselle d'Avignon and the exploitation of um, all of that, then I don't know. It doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't paint the full picture.
1: And it's I'm great um grateful that you brought up Damsel d'Avignon because to me before I knew about Picasso's misogyny and his biography I always saw that work as an incredibly empowering feminist painting. First of all, we have a scale that is aggressive. It's so large that it really shocks the viewer into this exchange of confrontation. Also, the subject matter is non-traditional for women. It's these Prostitutes and that is a traditional subject, but the fact that they are engaging you directly and the fact that their bodies are in these power stances, they own the room and it almost seals off the male gaze because they're thwarting it.
0: And that's not what she said though, when she was referring to Picasso's females. They call them like, you know, flower petals of uh, what was her word she used? It was pretty powerful.
1: Oh she said something like a flesh vase for <laughs> that yeah. was the vagina i I don't remember See, exactly
0: it, but like and then she mentioned Woody Allen another person like I will not stop watching Woody Allen movies because he's date because his fucking sexuality is perverse like he has a very weird thing where he's married to his stepdaughter of you know however many years apart like forty years apart, but he's fucking been talking about his perverted shit for years in Manhattan and Annie Hall and, you know, all of his movies forever. Bullets Over Broadway. He's one giant, phobic, perverse fuck-up. And I enjoy his movies, and I enjoyed, when I was a kid, I read Side Effects and Without Feathers and Getting Even, all of his books. I was a huge Woody Allen fan. And it didn't surprise me that he has a very unhealthy connection to this person, but yet if you watch his documentary and you see his relationship with his wife, who was his adopted daughter at the time, it's very functional. And she runs him. She fucking runs that dude. She's like, you need to do this, you need to do that. Get over here. Get over there. You know, you know, okay. And I you know, have to do you know, it's like this whole weird thing where she's definitely wearing the pants in the relationship. So whatever works You know what I mean? That's a clearly consensual thing. Harvey Weinstein, whole other story. Bill Cosby, whole other story. Those guys are psychopaths. Those guys are like rapist psychopaths.
1: Absolutely. But Roseanne Barr was fired for her racist comments. Absolutely. Kevin Spacey was fired for his pedophilia. And I think that we need- I think
0: that's good. I think that was fair. I think those are all fair.
1: Yeah, but these judgments—it's such a slippery slope because what makes one thing a fireable offense, and then another thing like Mel Gibson's anti-Semitism. Now he's on his apology tour, and we embrace him again. So we do
0: because because in this culture, we love to build shit up, we and we also love to make a huge deal out of it. We and we we love to build you up, and we love to tear you down. Whether it's Kim Kardashian, Kanye West, Obama, Trump. We love to build everybody up, and then we love once you're up there, when you're king of the hill, we want to tear you down. That is a biological, something about us in our biology that, that needs to do that. We need to build you up, and we need to destroy you. So I don't, you know, I'm never going to stop loving Picasso, I guess my point is. I'm never going to stop loving Degas. I'm not going to not watch Swimming with Sharks with Kevin Spacey, you know, because Kevin Spacey's fucking, not, but you know what? But that doesn't mean that I condone anything. I'm always gonna be like that guy's a fuck up. He's well, you a don't fucking condone, asshole.
1: Don't. But does loving and supporting the work, and this is a question: Does that make us complicit?
0: Um. Well, look the the work that's out there is is out there. So I, I don't know at that point. You know, like. Do, uh, didn't Harvey Weinstein produce, like, some movies? Are we going to go back every time and see which ones he did? Frida.
1: We did a whole episode on yeah, that. Yeah, we that did a whole episode of on Frida.
0: And, and, and it was produced by a, a, a garbage, pervert, rapist, psychopath. And we still talked about it. Because I never even made the connection, actually, until last night. when I was talking about it with my wife. And she was like, you know Harvey Weinstein did Frida. And Selma Hayek was, like, uh, apparently abused on the set. And all kinds of shit. She was, like, berated and abused and... I didn't even know any of that. And yet, you can't tell me that that was not a great movie.
1: I thought it was a phenomenal movie. And he didn't direct it. No, but this is the issue. (laughs) Can we, or to what degree should we, disentangle the work from the maker?
0: Yeah, I think on a Cosby level, you have to never, ever buy anything he's ever done. And I think that that's been handled, though. Like, the Cosby show's been pulled. It's been pulled forever, everywhere. Maybe maybe not in, like, Uzbekistan, but I'm sure... I'm sure it has. But it's been pulled everywhere. No, one, no one's listening to Cosby ever again. Like that's, he's, but you can control that because it's called The Cosby Show. But with, with uh, you know, Weinstein, there's so many, you know, like it's almost like if you pull that, then you're pulling Selma Hayek. Then you're pulling the director. Then you're pulling the production Right, designer, you're then affecting you're pulling, other people's careers. You're affecting other people's careers. Where Cosby, you pull it and you're affecting Cosby. I mean, you're definitely affecting other people's careers as well. But not nearly as much as Cosby. So it's an easier way to not disentangle it, but to be very direct. And I think you should do that. I think they should pull all Cosby stuff, for sure.
1: But then how do we relate that to art? And which offenses would be would justify taking art off the walls, if any? I
0: think some Picasso's work should be taken off the wall because it sucks. <laughs> you know what I mean? So which means that it should be based on merit and not emotional opinion, not not your opinion. Because I think Picasso gets... Clearly, he's one of the most you know, amazing... I think he's one of the most amazing. She didn't like Picasso at the end of the day. She was like, I hate Picasso. He sucks, whatever. But I think <laughs> Picasso is absolutely incredible. And I think also some of his work is crap, is garbage. And he was getting away with whatever he did. And I think any little tissue drawing napkin drawing or any drawing he did just got swept up and, and hung on the wall because a Yeah, it's it was valorized Picasso.
1: because it's Picasso. And it's she the same said that.
0: Renoir. Yeah, she said that because it's signed by him if you take his signature off, it's crap. That's not true though if you take off his signature from everything. You can't take off his signature from some of those minotaur etchings or some of his Cubist iconic paintings or some of his like neoclassical figures or his red period or his blue period paintings and say that. That's crap. You know, the guitar player, that's not crap. It's beautiful. Anybody that painted that would be a beautiful painting. So that's not true. But some of his work, because he is Picasso, uh, is doesn't mean that it's not trash. I often go to the museums... And I walk through halls and halls and halls, and I go, oh God, this is half of this is like garbage. It's like garbage. <laughs> and we're all, because of the context, we talk about this before, because of the context, we're like, oh, this shit is amazing because it's at a museum. I, and I really have to understand this and I have to analyze it. And this is just, this must just be like mythically powerful. But it's not. It's just because the curator or the people of the times or they knew the right people. And that's why they're on the wall, ladies and gentlemen. Because they have connections. Some of it, you cannot argue that a Bougereau or a you know, Johnson or Sargent, there's clearly people who, like you look at a Bougereau and you're like, holy shit, like, whoa, that is a great painting. And everyone stops at it and goes, oh my God. Like, it's just, you can't argue that. But there's other paintings that are just there because they knew somebody. And that's, you know, or, or it comes attached to Picasso's name. And that you were looking at the Picasso, going, "God, this is great." I wonder why. And you just sit there and you justify it, and it's because his signature, and that's why.
1: And I think that's actually true for Bougerot, too, because he was certainly the most proficient and the the best draftsman from the Academy at that time in the late eighteen hundreds. But she's were, talking
0: about the Col de Beaux Arts.
1: Yes, but if we didn't have his signature or his attribution, then. Maybe we would think differently about his paintings. I, and I think that this is that true for every That's single incorrect. painter. That's
0: incorrect. You think that he
1: was leaps and bounds better than yes. all of his colleagues.
0: Anybody could not come close to him. If you look at how he painted a foot, forget about his compositions, his design, his understanding of light and texture, but the fucking way has. There's other people that paint incredibly well. Like there's Jerome's and all these guys that are high level. But nobody's his level. Like, you could see the blood flowing in his foot. And it's sometimes you see, like, oh, God, that foot's amazing. But it's not quite sitting on the ground. There's something just, I don't know what it is. I can never paint in a lifetime like he couldn't. Quite honestly, nobody can. So whether it's out of fashion or not, but from a purely technical level, I don't think I don't think anybody could paint like that. I really don't. I mean, and there were artists that were comparable, comparable artists who were out there. But in terms of Boogero, like the way you could see the green veins and the broken, you know, like the, the skin and the way the skin folds around the muscles and the tissue and you could feel the blood flowing. You could feel the oxygen. It's like weird. He's actually just strange. Now, you could not like it because you're like, wow. I mean, he was trying to create life. He was trying to create what was, you know, he was trying to create reality. That was the days of I'm going to create reality. There's no well, photographs. Sort of
1: reality, but he never depicted contemporary scenes. They were all mythological sure, subjects. But, but he
0: was still painting figures in space. That's what I mean. Just like, you know, whether it was a vase and flowers and babies, he was, he was interpreting reality. He wasn't doing anything ab- abstract or breaking any traditions. Yeah, absolutely. In that way. In that way. So, no, I don't think anybody could paint like him. I, and we're and we're deviating from our subject, but I but I don't I really don't I feel like he was one of a kind. And if you don't know Bougereau, you could look up Boogeroo because that's how I always say it. <laughs> I
1: know it's so funny. It sounds like another yeah. word that I won't say. But I do think that Gatsby's point that the signature adds to the hero worship of the artist it sure. is incredibly sound. And it's impossible for me, at least, as a consumer of art and as somebody who teaches it and thinks about this every single day, it's impossible for me to talk about the art in a vacuum. I have to talk about the history and I have to talk about the biography of the artist. And I believe that we are not defined by our worst acts. But on the other hand, I believe that we need to be accountable for them. And it's a difficult balance for me, and especially when there are issues that are sensitized issues for me. And I teach art from, in the uh, the history of American art, I teach art by people who probably own slaves. That's a disgusting thing. Do I need to talk about it? I teach so art. You, so
0: you teach art about Ben Affleck? Oh, I'm sorry. No, I just...
1: <laughs> I don't know you that know
0: that You didn't just see the, the, the program with... Dr. Henry Louis Gates were oh that never aired. It didn't air because they found out that Beneflect uh, relatives owned slaves. So does that make us like because his DNA he he comes from people that were slave owners? Does that make us not want to watch Beneflect movies? He had nothing to do with that. No, I just thought that well, was Well, exactly.
1: This is really the question. Right. Where, where does the accountability go on the scale? Because I don't think that there is a hard answer. And I think right. in my own behavior, I see hypocrisy all the time. Right. For instance, I was talking to a friend of mine about Nanette and this episode that we are going to film. And I said, yeah, you know, Picasso and his misogyny. And he said, right, but what about Pollock? Pollock was a misogynist, and I love Pollock.
0: Yeah, you do. So you really love Pollock. I really, really. <laughs> See, <laughs> well, I like, knew you I hated Pollock Bougereau. for a reason. <laughs> <laughs> because, fucking Pollock and his misogyny. I'm sure Bougereau
1: did asshole things, too, but we Listen, don't know.
0: everybody, we don't know what everybody does behind closed doors. We don't know if there's, you know, some people lurking in the art historical shadows that aren't complete psychopaths. You're right.
1: And I think... And I remember when the, when the whole Bill Clinton scandal came out and everybody felt so entitled to know the inner workings of his personal life. Is that really our business as, yeah. And so I just think that this division between personal and public is interesting and it is of note. And to me, that was of incredible value in Gadsby's work because it, and this is again, me being hypocritical. I don't think that it's my business to know what Bill Clinton did behind closed doors with Donald Trump and what he said behind closed doors, that locker room shit. That to me is my business. And why is that? They're the same thing. Because you hate him so much. Exactly. And so (laughs) it is me and my entitlement and the way that I'm able to filter the world through my own particular agenda. And I think that Gatsby, she illuminates The inconsistencies in us And to me I thought that was really important to talk
0: about Ladies and gentlemen Please check out Nanette on Netflix Uh, She's really Smart, she's really funny She's very profound, I think it is another dimension Of how comedy is going Uh, It really Really adds a certain Other texture to it where she Is able to take you on a narrative Journey and I think that It's great that you also teach art history Not just from the perspective of the art, but about how it relates to history and the time and the geography and their personalities and their personal stories. I think that's what it's really all about. And it's definitely a lot of food for thought. Uh, and I got a lot out of her, her one woman show. I think it's more of a one woman show than it is a, than is a a comedy special. And so I thought she was very profound. And I think anybody out there who, uh, wants to, elevate themselves should really check it out. All right, everybody. Peace.